Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. It's the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Mark Horgan here with Murph. How you doing, Murph? Hello there, Mark. How are you? The listeners have come here for sport, and sport is what they're going to get. Well, maybe they've also come here for McDevitt, but they're going to have to put up with us for just well, one more show. Yeah, just, just, just hang with us, okay? It'll some, be fine. Some amazing performances, beautiful scores from the sporting weekend just gone. How good was that Cork Kerry game, everyone? Not quite as ridiculous as Mead West Mead, but brilliant nonetheless. Murph, I want to start the show with a regular new slot. Okay. It's called the Steve Keshi Hero of the Weekend. Coach! As voted by Kieran Murphy. Here are the okay. nominees. Okay, go on. Joe Canning after his Harlem Globetrotters insane pivot single motion dream goal. Okay. My new favourite midfielder, the Nikolai Valuev of the GAA world. <laughs> it's Cork's Alan O'Connor, the man with the strongest looking cranium I've seen in a while. It was like it was pulsing yesterday as he swatted <laughs> Kerry's midfield aside. I was actually trying to think of who he... The Nikolai Valuev, is, he was the guy that I was subconsciously... Uh, placing alongside Alan the guy O'Connor. David David Hayfoot. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Not as hairy as Valuev. No, I'm gonna sure. say I'm gonna say Alan O'Connor isn't that hairy. I, I think Alan O'Connor. He appears to be reasonably, you know, the levels of her suitness are within the you know bounds of acceptability. He joins a prestigious line of big, balding, aggressive midfielders: the Dermot Early Juniors, the John McDermott's of this world. Murph, mm, I never yeah. said that line was long. <laughs> it's a prestigious line, though. Well, I mean, it is. Uh, can you think of any other bol- Jack O'Shea, of course. One of the great no, Baldings. I mean, he's probably the the, the 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 guy who started the whole the whole you know the whole ball balding, midfielder the thing. The whole balding thing that we uh, keep going on about. Nominee number three is Carly Lloyd, a hat trick in the first fifteen minutes for the US in last night's Women's World Cup, including okay. a lob from halfway that I'll I'll describe in the same way that every lob is described. Murph, mm. it was an audacious lob. It was an audacious lob. And nominee number four is Fionn Fitzgerald, the ice vein little cornerback from Kerry, who equalised with a stunning point in the last second yesterday. Who wins the Steve Keshi here of the weekend? Ooh. Um, well, I'll tell you who's going to win, actually. It's Carly Lloyd, because she's a winner. All of our th- other three nominees all performed admirably, but none of them are winners. Carly Lloyd is a winner, and so she wins the Stephen Keshi Hero of the Weekend Award. I mean, it's a regular slot, you say. I mean, who knows, <laughs> Mark? This may be the first and last Stephen Keshi Hero of the Weekend Award we give out. We don't know. We, we don't know what the future holds. But um, yeah, no props to Carly Lloyd. I mean, uh, pretty. The first goal was actually really good as well. Second goal is a bit scrappy, but the third goal is yeah. In a World Cup final, that's pretty pretty spectacular. How bad was the Japanese goalkeeper though? Well, the smallest goalkeeper uh, I've ever seen at any level. Mm, five seven. That's not going to cut it. And you could see that the sub goalie was really really tall, like really really tall, like way taller than any of the other substitutes. Um, and in fairness, uh, she was actually pretty good against England, uh, the Japanese goalkeeper. But, you know, you're running backwards. It's kind of hard to run backwards and not fall over. I mean, you know, maybe I'm not blessed with Colin Cooper-style levels of balance. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it's not the easiest thing in the world. I seem to recall, was it Neil Sullivan in goals for David Beckham's halfway lob against Wimbledon? He, he didn't really manage the whole running backwards. Peter Shilton... 
uh, in the 1990 World Cup semi-final as well. It's not easy when you're backpedaling. Also, uh, was David Seaman, who was that against? Oh, Naeem. Naeem. Yeah, from Who'll ever forget Naeem? Yeah, well... I didn't there. I'm actually really impressed with <laughs> myself there. One of Ireland's top sports people and general sound man Shane Larry will join us on the show shortly in advance of the British Open at St Andrews next week. So when you met him last week with your dog on the street, as you described in the last podcast, you immediately harassed him into coming on the show. That's I, I basically, like, yeah. I like your style, Murph. Ushi McConville will join us a little later in studio alongside Michal Quirk. And the football show with Ken Early and Murph is already available now, so get downloading that right after this. But here's some big news. Are you ready for this? Okay, hit me. The Irish Times second captain sports night with Rabo Direc is back, ah. Murph. Excellent. Yeah, on Thursday, July 16th, that's Thursday week, we'll be recording the podcast at Dublin's Sugar Club on Leeson Street. We'd love you to be there. We had such a great time at our last Sugar Club show. There'll be sporting stars, there'll be live Pibezos, there'll be second captain's mugs. We can't promise that Richie Sally will be in chicken suits, but we'll, we'll try, Murph. At the same time, I mean... <laughs> we haven't asked him yet. The odds, the odds would appear stacked heavily in favour of that happening again but we'll, we'll see the show starts at 7pm and as usual there'll be some major prizes to give away throughout the night courtesy of Rabo Direct as well as that cornerstone of any successful podcast recording food and drink <laughs> yes food and drink Murph alright do, do, do you I like both of those right I'll have to hold off till after the show though as usual you like to keep me like a dog like a, like a dog you like me hungry and a little irritable. Yeah. That's you, you, that usually gets the best results from me, so that's fine. And, and frothing at the mouth. Well, that's going to be there <laughs> with or without the extreme hunger. Tickets will be limited and the closing day for entries is this Friday. So get on to irishtimes.com forward slash second captains for details. That's irishtimes.com forward slash second captains and get on and apply for that now. No support act to McDevitt's headline show has been announced just yet, Murph, at the Sugar Club. But I believe you've got the email address of Big Tom's people. Uh, well, just found an address on their Bebo page. Yeah, well, listen, he's he, I'm friends with Big Tom on Facebook, mm. so I poked him, and uh, I'm awaiting a response. Uh, speaking of gigs, Murph, after our last podcast, people thought we were being miserable for complaining about the modern man with their tattoos and chisel physiques, etc. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, well, did I? Well, I mean, I hope that you tried to reconnect. Well, exactly. I just thought I'd try and reconnect with the youth of today. So, um, mm. went to see the latest new up and coming band of the Irish music scene. I don't know if you heard of them, The Frames. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ooh, I think I have heard of them. Yeah, I saw them. The God, I'm, that must mean I'm cool as well. Saw them in the Ivy Gardens on Saturday night. This new guy, Glenn Hansard. He's definitely my one to watch. Yeah, yeah. He's, I hear he's got tremendous stage presence. It was the most polite audience I've ever experienced. <laughs> Apologetically that, bumping past people. You know, it was crazy. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me massively. But I mean, hey, listen, uh, we should embrace the fact that we're, you know, that we're, hey, we're not in the first flush of youth, but we're still cool. Um, you went to see Goa Kilkenny yesterday, which was much more helpful to this podcast. How did Joe's go <laughs> looking stance? Well, um, see, you know what I did, right? I actually, I didn't buy me ticket until Sunday. I just left it. You know, I just said, I'll just get a ticket on the day, you mm. know. And see, you, you always kind of think during the week, what's the point, you know? And then you get there and you see that there are many people queuing and you realise, I'm going to be stuck right in the corner of the, the ground here, aren't I? And uh, so I'm, I'm in the queue for uh, the tickets and every single person ahead of me, right? Uh, my, I was there with my brother, John, who doesn't go to Crow Park as often as I would. Did you have a hot dog for the wait, by the way? No, I didn't, no. actually. No, no, see, this is outside the ground. Gotcha. So, now, don't worry. The wait for the hot dog wasn't a particularly extensive once we got inside the environs. But um, I was like, listen, John, I'm going to go up there now. And I'm going to... See, I know all the numbers. You know, 331, brilliant. 327, terrible. Right, so... You know, and all of the other... See, every, you know, I, I thought, you know, I've, I've stolen a march here. I, I know what's what. So I go up, and as I'm queuing, there's like six windows, and every single person is, is giving like this unbelievably detailed breakdown of the good seats, the bad seats. I don't want anything to do with 327 or 333 in the lower Hogan or anything like that. And I realise, yeah, everyone knows a bit too much about Crow Park, so when they get stuck with the bad tickets, they know immediately these are bad tickets. But anyway, this is all uh, pre- a prelude to tell you that I was in the corner of the da- where the Davin stand meets the Hogan stand. So I was like about 200 <laughs> yards from Joe Canning's wonder goal. But I mean, I, I, I saw him catch it, I saw him fall over, and then a second later I saw the ball had somehow gotten to the net. The other highlight, and I, I, I was unfortunate because I don't think it really was reflected on the television coverage, mm. but the Kilkenny team doctor had the most amazing running technique that you've ever seen. So I'm going to say that he was kind of... If he wasn't over 50, he was certainly over 45. And so every time that there was any Kil- Kil- Kilkenny player down, he ran off. He, he ran... See, I was, I was trying to think, of when would you see a guy of that age running? And usually you say, you know, it's for a bus or, you know, for a train <laughs> or something like that. But it was... That, that actually wasn't how this man ran at all. Because, you know, it's kind of a low bustling sort of a, a run that you need to get 
to get to a bus or to get to a train, you know, you're kind of weaving in and out of traffic and you're just kind of keeping the head down, trying to get to your destination as quickly as possible. This guy had a completely, a totally erect torso, legs pumping, the knees were like up to his hips, like effectively, just arms going, head thrown back. It actually was one of the most enthralling sights that I've ever seen. So I trust that RT Sport will have seen my tweet yesterday and they will make a point of focusing their cameras to, perhaps to the detriment of the of the coverage of the game, solely on this guy because once he gets moving, is it just was it just awkward leg technique like uh, Donico Callan or Devon Toner when they're running that yes. kind of thing? D- yeah, very similar actually to a rugby second row who finds himself you know in the nightmare situation of having twenty yards of free space in front of him. Back to the football for one second. Fionn Fitzgerald on his last minute point for Kerry. I feel bad for saying this because he still put it over, but he wasn't going for that point, was he? No. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, there's a photograph doing the rounds of him. The, leave, the, the ball is leaving his foot at the moment of impact and his head is staring to, like, the, like the opposite corner <laughs> to where Kieran Donny almost certainly <laughs> was, basically. Instead of, like, a, a concerted, you know, really studied uh, Colm O'Neill-style uh, kick around the corner, Colm Cooper-style uh, kick around the corner. So I'm not... Yeah, I'm not entirely convinced... Uh, but hey, you know, Colm Coyle is still dying out in 96, so Fionn, go for it. Exactly, we'll, spe- we'll see what Rushy McConville and Michal Quirk have to say about it a little bit later. But Shane Lowry joins us now. How are you doing, Shane? I'm good, thanks, lads. How are you? Very good, thank you. Myself and Murph have been discussing the weekend's GAA um, just now, and we saw your tweet about the Kerry match. Uh, as for Fionn Fitzgerald, some pair of balls on you to kick that point. The reason Kerry are one of the greatest at cornerback doing that. We've noticed that you've rewarded great Irish sporting achievements such as John O'Shea's goal against Germany last year with the threat of shifts from yourself, usually. So, if Fionn Fitzgerald had a kick that point for Offaly to win a match in the Championship, would he have also received a virtual shift tweet? I think so, yeah. <laughs> if he was playing for Offaly, yeah. Uh, listen, we've lots to talk about, Shane, but um, can we go back to the US Open, first of all? Uh, coming in the top ten, really contending for the title, the whole country was captivated. You seem so comfortable throughout it, um, even in interviews with Sky. I know you admitted nerves before the final round when you were speaking to Sky, but you, everything seemed really natural. Um, what was it about the days he spent at Chambers Bay that seemed to make it all so enjoyable for you? Yeah, it, it, was, it was kind of mad, you know. It was, it was one of those weeks where I, uh, you know, I just got in a good frame of mind at the start of the week, and I don't know what, why or how, but it was just kind of one of those things. I put my head down and I kind of kept myself to myself. I had a nice house that week with my dad, my brother, and my coach, and a couple others in it, and we, you know, we just kind of spend as little time possible at the golf club spent more time in the house and just kind of, you know, done everything that I felt I needed to do well. And to be honest, when I got in the golf course, I just felt so calm. Um, just one of those things that I, if if you try and get in that frame of mind, it's hard. To, it just kind of has to come natural to you, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was your second top 10 at a major, but this one felt different in that you were really right in the mix uh, going into the back nine. I mean, how different does that feel? Uh, you know, say you listen to Porter Carrington, all he ever says is, getting into contention on the back nine of a Sunday and then, you know, anything can happen. How different did it feel from your point of view to be genuinely contending right from the, you know, from the first tee, but particularly in the back nine as well uh, in a major on the Sunday? Yeah, it was, um, you know, it was great. Like it was, it was nerve wracking, but I wasn't that nervous on the golf course. I was just kind of, you know, going about my business, trying to hit good shots after good shots. And it was just really, really enjoyable. Like I said, as my caddy, um, after that, you know, last week when I was talking to him, it was probably the most enjoyable week and some of the most enjoyable days I've ever had in the golf course. It's, it's interesting, I suppose, the tra- trajectory of your career. And I, I know you said a few months ago that you're now beyond just going out and trying to make the cut in tournaments and at the ma- at majors. But it, this is kind of something that happens in team sports as well. Often when, when players start out, the nerves are there and almost just making the team or consolidating a place in the team. And once the, they kind of feel they're good enough and they've established themselves, suddenly it becomes everything becomes a lot easier for them and they're able to play their, their best sport in team games or whatever it might be. As you kind of establish yourself financially and in the rankings and all the great results you had this year are you can feel kind of freed up mentally as well yeah i am you know i i'm i'm past the days hopefully anyway i think i am of you know worrying about my tour card worrying about stuff like that and you know i I think i'm just going out with one purpose and one purpose only and that's to win tournaments and you know i know i've only won twice in six years but i really feel like now is my time to kind of step up to the plate and and kick on a little bit more and uh, you know hopefully get another one soon and, and see what happens then uh, the Open at St Andrews is uh, is a pretty special occasion for any golfer, 
Um, it's you know there's there's it's something beyond it's something beyond the British Open when it's a St Andrews British Open and you look at the the people who have won at St Andrews over the last twenty years. It's pretty much the best golfers of that time. Is that something that that it really fires your imagination, or is it just a case of right? This is another major uh, played on a Lynx golf course that I actually have a really good chance of of winning. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I played the Open in Flanders in 2010, and it was by far the best tournament I've ever played in. I was doing okay. Um, I remember Saturday afternoon I was playing with Vijay Singh, and the crowds and everything about it. It was just kind of really, you know, it was something that I'd always remember. And I'm really looking forward to getting back there next week. You know, I'm obviously I feel like I'm a lot different player than I was then. You know, I do feel like I can go there next week and contend. I just need to try and stay. You know, not get ahead of myself and. You know, not, not listen to the hype that's going on because you know since the US Open, a lot of people are talking about winning majors, and you know I kind of need to just get back down to, you know, doing my own thing and putting my head down, trying to hit good shots and and see what happens. Try and put myself in contention again, and you know see what happens then on Sunday afternoon. And um, that's kind of my main goal would be to get myself within four or five of the lead on Saturday afternoon. See what happens from there. Just to go slightly off topic here, Shane, with something myself and Murph were talking about uh, before you came on. This the the um, during the Irish Open and uh, when you, you played a, a few holes with you with your sand wedge and uh, as putter and you damaged your club and you were venting some frustration that way. It seems like a huge kind of deal was made of that, and you personally found it something that you had to justify and you talked about it afterwards. Surely we're kind of discussing that. Surely at, at some stages in sport and maybe golf is no different. That venting some frustration like that isn't actually such a bad thing. Aside from having to play on with a sand wedge, what makes it such a, a big deal in golf and, and something that you had to justify afterwards? Yeah, I think, to be honest, I think it was just the time it happened and where it happened. Like, if it had to happen in a different tournament, there wouldn't have been as much about it. It was just how it happened at the Irish Open. And, like, it was something that I just felt a bit, you know, I knew people were going to give me a bit of stick about it. I knew, um, you know, some people would find it funny. So I just kind of felt like I had to say something afterwards. You know, personally... It didn't really bother me that much. Mm. I kind of, it's something I do. Like I'm, I'm a bit hot-headed. I'm a bit fiery at times. But I think it's, that's what has me where I am today. Um, you know, I get I get a little bit annoyed when I, when I do as well as I feel like I should do. So, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being ambitious. You just kind of, you can't be. You know, when you do things like that, it's a bit silly to do something like that because you're really you're setting yourself back. But there's no there's no harm in you know getting angry as a as a sports person and just, you know, wanting the most out of yourself. I think that, you know, if you talk to most sports people, that's what they want. If you if you bottle all the anger inside, it'll come out eventually at some stage. So, you know, I, I feel like I, you know, I get annoyed. If you talk to my caddy, my coach, um, anyone, I get annoyed on the golf course. It's something I do. But, you know, is it something I'm going to stop doing? No, um, because I feel like it has me where I am today. Ten days away from the start of the Open, Shane, it sounds like you feel like you can win it? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I feel like I, you know, I definitely think if I have a chance that I can. Like, it's not. I'm gonna say I can't. I just kind of, you know, like I say, I've got a Scottish Open this week first. I need to just stay in the moment and uh, try and play good golf there and get myself ready for next week. Finally, before I let you go, Shane, is it true you've also bought, brought a Labradoodle so you and Murphy become dog walking buddies when you're not playing on tour? Uh, no, uh, as much <laughs> Shane, as my, no, uh, come on, as much as my fiance would love that, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I've really felt like I put you in a very awkward position there, Shane, so I apologise you, you, you in did, advance Murph. for that. All, that's all I've heard since, uh, since I met you on Grafton Street the other day with your Labradoodle. That's all I've heard and that's all she wants. Okay, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Shane. That's, that's all I can say, you know. Shane, best of luck over the next couple of weeks. Thanks for talking to Thanks, us. Thanks, lads. Cheers. Shane Curran with the kick out. The 42-year-old goalkeeper. Curran it out from goal. Here he comes. He topped it. He fought it. He's 50,000 Start a fight club, Brad reputation. I asked the question. Does anybody deserve to lose at the Lara Club final? Give me a tech 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 if you know the answer. It'll be heartbreak on either side. Imagine being eight up. Imagine coming from eight down. Shane Curran has been lifted by an umpire. The sub goalie. Two castle barmen and a bridges mate. I can't see Curran continuing. <laughs> <laughs>
It could be his last race on the boat. What a day for us, Gammon. Shane Larry there was speaking to us as a brand ambassador for Cartel Golf Murph, available mm-hmm. in Heatons from September. Shane has designed a bespoke range of golfing apparel for Cartel. And according to the press release in front of me here, Shane was also keen to ensure a colour that is reflective of his Irish roots and was very specific with regards to the particular green colour tones selected for the range. <laughs> See, green's a tough colour. Well, it sounds to me if he's looking for, for you know, a colour that's reflective of his Irish roots, he's going to be playing in some sort of Offaly jersey. Yeah, well... Cartel well, logo just replacing the Carol's meats. <laughs> See, that's... I would love to see him play the back nine of Augusta <laughs> in a glorified Offaly jersey. I'm sure that, you know, the, the, uh, as, is, um, as the, the press release states, I mean, it, what could be more reflective of his Irish roots? I just know a vast tricolour just sort of uh, adorning his shoulders uh, on the back nine of the US Masters next year. I, for one, mm-hmm. am looking forward to seeing that. Uh, just on the Shane Larry shifting tweets, could you read a few examples to the audience, Murph? Okay, so we had... Well, the original tweet was... John O'Shea. If I could get my hands on John O'Shea right now, I'd shift him, followed by many, many shamrock emojis. And through about 3,000 retweets. Yeah. Uh, and then a couple of months later, uh, Ireland's next game in the uh, uh, qualifiers, uh, a couple of weeks later, uh, Ireland are playing Scotland in the uh, Euro qualifiers. And uh, he tweets the team, the team sheet asking, I wonder which one of these beasts I'll want to shift tonight. <laughs> and then uh, the third in the, the trilogy was directly after Rob, uh, Rob Henshaw's try against, Aaron, uh, against England in the Six Nations. If I could get my hands on at Henshaw Rob, well, I'd do the same as I would have done to John O'Shea. Uh, Who will Shane Larry crime. want to shift next? I mean, this, the summer is long, and he's a, an avowed fan of Colin Cooper. So uh, if the replay goes as Kerry people hope, then... Uh, I think watch out. Gooch has got that to look forward to. We mentioned our Hero of the Week a little earlier. Um, Can I tell you who the villain of the week is, Murph? Go on. It's not the idiot who was waving the Confederate flag at the Cork Kerry match. It's the guy who tackled Rory McIlroy in a game of football over the weekend, ruptured the world number one's ankle ligaments, and he's out of the British Open. Or it looks like he could be out of the British Open. I know, I know. I mean, I don't know who Rory was playing with. You know, if, if I'm thinking... You know, Rory's obviously got a bit of an entourage, which is, you know, fair yeah. enough. He's got it's, like... It's going to be the Monty Burns uh, heavyweight Dredrick Tatum thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of thinking... Yes, sir, Mr. McElroy. Uh, you know, if you're if you're in the pay of Rory McElroy, you know, if you're a PR guy or if you're, you know, he's working for one of his sponsors... He's going to be playing with his friends. It's not, he's not going to have a lot of his, you know, well, I mean, PR entourage okay. around him. Well, if, if Rory's playing with one of his friends, how many of those... If, if you're good enough friends to be... Playing five aside with Rory McIlroy, you're probably also good enough to enjoy all of the uh, perks, all of the perks available to friends of Rory McIlroy at the co- upcoming British Open in St Andrews. So I, I would say, let's go easy on the world, the golf world, the world number one. If that's all right, I mean, if if it means Rory, what are you thinking? Rips you apart. Oh, what's he thinking? You're going to be feeling pretty bad. Could you read out the the um, statement from Rory? Oh yeah, here we go. It's. Um, Total rupture of left ATFL ankle ligament and associated joint capsule damage in a, so- in a soccer kickabout with friends on Saturday. Continuing to assess extent of injury and treatment plan day by day. Rehab already started. Working hard to get back as soon as I can. So no mention of the British Open there, which you could say is bad. But on the other hand, it's right. Well, I'm going to try and recover as quickly as I can. And Tiger Woods he's, did win. He's he photographed was- with a giant moon boot. It's a giant moon boot, but uh, I've worn a moon boot in the last 12 months, and so do you. So all that means is, you know, every precaution is being taken. I think we've survived. And as he said, Tiger Woods has good history in this. Yeah, he, he did win a US Open on an actual broken leg. So, I mean, man up, Rory. Do you know what <laughs> That's I, basically what I'm saying, man up, Do you Rory. know what I think we can learn from this? Yeah. I think it's a sign that Rory McIlroy is not very good at football. You know I got injured. I was playing five-a-side earlier on in the year. Yep. Broke my foot in a couple of places, was out, had a giant moon boot, same sort of thing. Yeah. And it was basically because I lost control of the ball, tried to jump in, save yeah, and, the tackle. And, and my, it's due to my own lack of ability. Yeah, and my broken foot, I suppose, is the, the exception that proves Yeah, yeah, exactly, Murph, yeah. Fair enough, I, I, I accept that. Um, what sort of player do you think Rory McIlroy is? Is he probably, is he big enough to be a target man, kind of Ian Dowie? Or is he more, no. you know, North, fellow Northern Ireland international sort of Jimmy Quinn type striker, do you reckon? I'd say he's more of um uh, more of a Joel Taggart no Jim Magilton sorry <laughs> he's more of a Jim Magilton really I would say uh, bustling all I mean he's certainly he's got the fitness he could he can go box to box so I would say he's a bustling all action centre centre midfielder um, you know it might not you know it might, it might not have the, the the delicate touches the 
sort of 360 vision of a Xavi or an Iniesta, but certainly, you know, the the tackling ability of a Steve Sidwell. <laughs> I think you could be right, though. I think this is definitely the results of somebody who's taken a game of football too seriously. Yeah. You're Owen McDevitt's of this world, for example. Yeah, I mean, at least he wasn't playing a game with Owen McDevitt where, because then he'd probably be also nursing a sore arse from Owen having booted him up the air. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, there, there is that, at least. Right, it's time for some of these. I've got a call here that says, you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh, God. That's just it. I just Whoa. mentioned, not you, no me. Okay. Ain't nobody with my click. We don't normally click. broadcast click. all the, the stuff click. that comes from scum click. around the country. Ain't nobody fresher than my mug, mug. Click, 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 click. Yes, it's our virtual mail satchel. Lots of scumbags corresponding with us this week, Murph. First up is Paul Morrissey. Lads, regarding the tops off on a Sunday and on a sunny day debate of your last podcast, is St. Stephen's Green of a Sunday afternoon acceptable? No, it's not. I mean... Or any other park. I think that's... I think you can take your top off in a park. Phoenix Park, yes. Air Square in, in Long Galway. Grass. Yeah, Air Square, no, in Galway. Uh, St. Stephen's... I mean, it's just a case, really, of how close to the city centre are you? I mean, St. Stephen's Green, I, no. It's not for me, Mark. I mean, maybe I'm being a prude on this. But no, no to St. Stephen's Green, yes to Phoenix Park. Most of our correspondence is about one man. Coach, you wanted victory. This is the game you wanted victory, but it didn't happen. What happened? Well, I wanted victory. I want victory for every game, but today's game, uh, this is for football. You look frustrated on the pitch. You look frustrated on the pitch during the play there. Where, did you, where do you think you got it all wrong today? Oh, it's poor Nigerian manager Stephen Keshi Murph. What's and the news, got? the we- news isn't good. Yeah. Andy O'Rourke, lads, Nigeria have only gone and sacked Keshi again. Will Hamilton, this was the contract where it was all meant to happen. What happened? <laughs> Colm Halley says, lads, Stephen Keshi sacked as Nigeria coach. Bookies have installed Stephen Keshi as favourite to take over the job. Here's what happened. I can, gi- I can give everyone the lowdown. Yeah, go on uh, then. And t- we tons more aside from those three. Second captain's favourite football coach, yes. Stephen Keshi was relieved of his duties again on Saturday night. The Nigerian FA found out an application was sent on Keshi's behalf to the Ivory Coast Football Federation seeking to replace their coach, Herve Renard. Remind everyone about who Renard is. Herve Renard is the guy uh, who you will remember from uh, the African Cup of Nations where he just kept whipping his top off and celebrating with his uh, players. And extreme, he, well, he wore extremely tight white shirts. And he was ripped. At, yeah, and then at the first... The, at the drop of a hat, effectively... He for he would not have a problem with being uh, having his top off in St Stephen's Green or indeed Grafton Street or <laughs> any of this fine city's uh, main thoroughfares. He's the only he's the only manager I've ever seen in any sport where when the players exchange jerseys, he's also just thrown around with his top yeah. off, just exchanging shirts with the opposing manager. Anyway, this application this application it contained Keshi's CV and a cover letter. Um, I'm not sure what was contained in the cover letter, Murph. Uh, mm. He enjoys going to the cinema, socialising with yeah. friends. <laughs> uh, type 60 words a minute. Yeah, uh, full clean driver's licence. Yeah. Uh, and he has he has an agent, Herman Brice D'Souza, who sent the CV on June 11th. The story leaked into the media June 20th and D'Souza wrote to the Ivorian uh, FA the following day saying he wanted to withdraw the application. <laughs> the old uh, horse is bolder there, my man. What I didn't realise, this is his fourth time being sacked from the same job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it turns out that that uh, Keshi is pretty well connected. So every time he loses the job, he calls in another favour from another member of the Niger- either the Nigerian Football Association or the Nigerian government itself. Yeah, the sacking before this one uh, on Saturday came after he failed to qualify Nigeria for the Af- African Cup of Nations. And a day later, the football president, Amadou Pinnock, was detained by operatives of the state security service on his way to the African Women's Championship final. And Keshi was subsequently reinstated again. <laughs> All sounds I, pretty healthy in Nigerian you know, football. I think, I think we may have seen the last of Stephen Keshi in charge of uh, Nigeria. But the last of Stephen Keshi... Coach extraordinaire? I, I don't think so. I, I, I doubt it. Right, let's talk about the game of the weekend. Kerry versus Cork. Michal Quirk was at Killarney and he's with us as is Cork hater-in-chief, Oshi McConville. How are you doing, lads? Good one, Mark. Good, Fault. good. Maybe a direct on-air apology to Brian Cuthbert is a bit much, Oshin, but uh, how much credit are you prepared to give Cork after what we thought was a pretty brilliant performance yesterday? Well, I'm just actually looking at the front of the Irish Times and I'm looking at the most influential uh, man that Kerry had yesterday and that was Padraig Hughes from my own club in Cross Midland who was refereeing the game. <laughs> what an absolute... What um? How could you get something so wrong? The penalty decision was awful. Uh, Cork, I have to say, do get a lot of credit today because they played with a bit of fire and really, as a Cork uh, 
detractor would, would be the best word over the last uh, couple of years. I suppose, you know, one thing I want to see them, from them was a little bit more aggression and see what, what they had in them when it was really put after them. Interesting listening to Barry Driscoll after the game yesterday mm. when he said that uh, they were hurting, but they don't read papers and they don't listen to what's being said. <laughs> uh, somebody was was somebody was talking in their ear because certainly it looked like a team that was hurting yesterday, mm. and uh, the performance I have to say on the day was very very good, except for the fact that they gifted. Um, well, they were Kerry were gifted a penalty, but also in Michael Shields getting robbed in in his own uh, fourteen yard line. Uh, they were gifted. They gifted carry a goal and let them back into the game. Probably should have killed it off, but I would have taken uh, the core performance. You know, going into the game, I didn't expect them to win this game, and I have to say the performance they deserve a hell of a lot of credit for. We'll we'll come back to the penalty decision actually in a little bit. But um, Keith Duggan said today that Cork will prepare for the replay with much more complex emotions. So the siege mentality, I suppose, is lifted somewhat. You know, people yeah. now expect again. How much do you expect from this Cork team from this point uh, after what they performance they put in yesterday? Are they back being All-Ireland contenders or is it much, much too early to say something like that? I don't know about All-Ireland contenders, but I think genuinely, you know, teams that wouldn't have been uh, that afraid to play them will now be maybe a little bit more, you know, afraid. You know, they are a team who could catch a Dublin or somebody like that with a really top performance in a quarter final, a team that's maybe not as prepared as they should be. Um, I, I think yesterday proved the point that they have a system of play now that they seem quite comfortable with, Okay, that they played yesterday. Just for a, maybe 10 minutes before half-time, they sort of, you know, they fell back off that, fell back off the intensity. And I think they realised in the second half they're going to play the system that they're going to play and you're going to get players back. That's one thing. Great to get players back. But when Cork have got players back in the past, they haven't put any tackles in. Yesterday were hunting in packs. You know, they were consistently turning carry over. Uh, maybe not making the most of a lot of the chances they had in the first half. It should, realistically, Cork should have been in, in front at, uh, at half time. But for them to come out and show the fight that they, that they did. They're, they're contenders in that. I, I don't think they would have the... The prog- enough progression to win an All Ireland, Mark. But I think nobody wants to meet them, meet them now because they show that they are a different animal. And in Colin O'Neill, they have one of the most accurate players in the country. Mihal, yeah, Ushin kind of referenced two separate things there. One was the fact that they showed uh, an intensity, uh, a willingness to tackle, a willingness to put their bodies where it hurts, and also. The, there was a tactical uh, nuance to them. Uh, there, there was an intelligence to how they played. Was it kind of was it a combination of, bo- of both, or was it more one than the other? Do you think that uh, that's meant we saw the huge improvement that we saw in Cork yesterday? I, I just you know this this is a really frustrating. I think this is why Cork football supporters are fro- so frustrated with their football team because this this kind of a performance for the players they had was was always in them. You know, and and it never manifested itself to to actually to what we saw yesterday un, until something happens, like Tomas Shea comes out and, and questions the size of their manhood, basically, and 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 then they come out with a fire and a passion that they, they were hitting. And Alan O'Connor was around the middle of the field hitting guys like he was a wrecking ball. He was he was just everybody was playing at a at a, a level of aggression that you don't associate with Cork. They, they never they never play that that really physical stuff that they were they were they were back there. I mean, it started it started you know raw enough. They had they had Kerrigan back there as a as a kind of as a sweeper, and he was getting on ball and and coming out with pace. And their whole running game was kind of based on him. And when he got black carded, actually you know just before half time, that that actually really hurt them for a spell there. And and uh, before before Paddy Kelly eventually came on and started playing that role with Collins, but they they just they just. Came with a serious kind of, you know, anger and a, and and, a, and like they were hurt. They're definitely I've seen to the there. They, like for guys, that don't, I don't know how they got so hurt if they're not reading the papers because they they really really played like a guys who who were on a mission to to right a couple of wrongs that were being led against them. Yeah, and it's kind of it's weird to me to think that at the level of uh, preparation that we're talking about in intercounty football now that it comes down to a, a guy like Tomas O'Shea who's a retired Kerry footballer. He's not playing. Uh, he's yeah. in his capacity as an analyst of the game, says what people are thinking about Cork. And, you know, 
I, I'm just, you know, I'm curious. I mean, that's the that's human nature, maybe. That's the reaction that you get when something like that happens. But at the same time, you know, Cork football should be about more than shoving words <laughs> down to Moss O'Shea's throat, you know? Yeah. Mm. And like the psychology of, of, of anybody, you know, let alone a football team that's that's struggling to find an identity. They had, they, they, I, you know, I said it last week, I didn't think they really had an identity under Brian Cuthbert. You know, they, you didn't know what kind of a, you know, game they were going to play, where they were a running team, or they a kicking team now. You know, you, you weren't sure their best 15. It, you know, they didn't really seem to have a system. They, they were just lacking an identity. And, and if you were in a scenario where, where your your head is reeling a little bit because you're not really sure where what kind of a direction you're going as a team and you, you just get a focal point like this, like just just a small thing, a guy a guy is really after questioning, are we up to this at all? And and you're focusing on this. And I mean the other the other big part of, of Cork yesterday I thought was, was a massive was their conditioning. You know, Pat Flanagan trained trained us in Kerry for a couple of years and you know he would have been involved with the, the college in Tree when they won Sigerson's he's you know a serious guy, you know, in terms of physical preparation, really scientific, you know exactly what he's talking about and has a big mantra about really peaking physically for maybe one or two times during the year that it's not something you can you know like like up, up in the Ulster Championship you know how they do it every second week but you know he had those guys absolutely just bouncing off the ground as well yesterday and, and that was you know their, their conditioning was a huge part of it as well I mean Keane O'Neill has a big reputation in Kerry but you know Pat Flanagan obviously had, had his guys as, as equally well prepared No just thinking if, if we're going to gauge the whole thing by the size of uh, the size of the Cork boys manhood I was thinking that maybe before the game, they were very like Pee Wee and more like Ron Jeremy. By the time it was uh, <laughs> it, it was finished, and and the key for them is to try and keep that going. Now. You know, can can they turn out a, turn out a performance? I guess every because Morphe makes a good point about uh, you know a bit of fire and brimstone and and uh, and that heart will drive you on for a day maybe, mm. but you need to have more substance than that if you want to have a sustained run in the championship. You know, and that's the thing about Cork. Can Cork get the motivation, which they have struggled with in the past? Can they get that motivation for the next day again? And are they about more than just one performance where they're hurting? And I think the, the strange thing is that, you know, we question them continuously, and, and I'm going to question them again because I, I want to see if, the, you know, if there's another similar performance or not. And even if they get beaten, as long as they don't get a beaten like they got last year. Uh, they have an opportunity of again having a big say, you know, further on the championship. Uh, watching the the second half, um, it was quite clear that that what we we were kind of talking about the respect paid to Cork. Did Kerry not pay Cork the respect of actually putting in place a, def- a defensive structure that we've seen Kerry uh, play with to great success in the semi-finals and in the final last year? I mean. Do you think that was actually an, an element of disrespect in Fitzmaurice's preparation of Kerry that they went man for man? And say the third goal, I mean, we're, the, the third goal that Cork scored, you actually don't see players in that position ever anymore. You don't mm. see a guy pick up the ball 25 yards out directly in front of the goal, advance 10 yards and slot it past the goalkeeper. It just never, ever happens in intercounty football anymore. I honestly thought, looking at me, he'll be able to tell me a bit different, but, and this may seem naive uh, for me looking on, but I genuinely think that Kerry felt or, or wanted to get past yesterday's game without giving anything major away. That's the way I think. Because I've seen Kerry chasing players yesterday that I haven't seen in a while, because normally you, you don't, in the current systems, you don't really chase players anymore. You don't see somebody trying to get back at somebody. You, you always see another wall of players coming and you, you know, you're meeting them and you're stopping them so they have to turn around to go lateral and Cork really struggle when they go lateral and uh, it almost seemed to me again this may be hugely naive of me but uh, the very fact that they turned up yesterday and as you say didn't play that defensive system left Mark O'Shea one on one on numerous occasions uh, and when you're one on one with a forward nowadays there's nothing really much you can do with him because all he needs is two yards of space, and especially somebody like Colin O'Neill, two yards of space, turn bang over the bar. Um, normally they've got a lot more numbers in there, and, and I just felt as if Kerry wanted to get through yesterday and not give a, 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 that much away that they were saving a little bit for what's coming later. What do you think, Mihal? Kerry didn't show the full hand. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. To be honest, I, I was I was surprised when I when I saw like I thought Kerry were really poor yesterday. You know, I, I don't think Kerry played well at all. You know, and we're, we're saying Cork, you know, still didn't win the game. And I, I thought in the second half Kerry were completely abject. They, they had no like talking about defensively. It was completely man for man. Like I mean, Mark picked up Colm O'Neill. Mark Shea picked up Colm O'Neill, and uh, I think the first five balls it went into Mark either took the ball off him or or forced him out or, or you know he he didn't get a score. And then and then it came. With, with Dunica beating his man slipping a hand pass across because everything was one on one so all it was a case was beat your guy and, and, and there was a chance of a score and you know it was a very very big contrast to the way Kerry set up defensively last year against Cork and you know maybe, maybe you know Murphy talking about a lack of respect last year it was probably a reversal where, where Kerry were going up to Cork fearing that they might get a tanking after getting a hammering above in the in the league game and, and, and went there to kind of shut him down whereas you know this this, this definitely wasn't, wasn't anything like that it was real traditional old style man for man for Kerry and you know Cork didn't even play that huge amount of bodies back they had they had Paul Kerrigan back there like I said for the first 25 minutes and after that then it was kind of Collins and and uh, uh, Paddy Kelly uh, but but it was it just it was a strange game it was a very very old style traditional man for man you you mark your guy you keep him scoreless as much as you can and like like Oshin's saying that that day is it's kind of gone. So I, 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 maybe, maybe he's got a point. Maybe Fitzmaurice is trying to hold his hand back. I have no idea what was the logic behind it because it, it definitely it put our defenders out on an island and they were they were mm. under pressure. Mihal, talk to us about what happened in midfield because it was that was also such a change from last year. Moran's black card that was a big moment in the game. But he and Sheehan were well beaten in the first half, and then Anthony O'Connor didn't. Anthony Maher uh, didn't really make much of an impact when he came on. He certainly couldn't change it. So like everyone else, we were really impressed by Alan O'Connor. He seemed to be everywhere. He came out of retirement, played the full seventy. Um, I presume you've played against this guy. Were you impressed? Yeah, the last time I played against him, actually, he closed my eye with a, with a, with a box of a fist that he was Maria going for a ball and the ball was about six <laughs> feet away from him. He's, um, he's, he's, you know what he is now? He's a big, raw-boned, aggressive kind of just animal, a guy that you would absolutely love to have on your team, but you do not want to see him walking towards you for the throw-in. You know, he's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he's a tough, honest kind of a guy. You know, there's no, he's not a dirty guy, but he's just, he's just so innocently hard that, that he just, he sees no wrong in putting his body through you if there's a ball there to be, to be got. Uh, and he was just, like, he, I, I thought he inspired the whole, their whole team yesterday. He was just so, so physical and so aggressive going for every ball. If there was any little bit of a skirmish he was in and he was he was hitting guys and pushing guys and you know he, he I thought he set the tone for them physically you know which which Cork never come down with, mm-hmm. with a you know they, before they had you know Nicholas Murphy and Canty and they used to have a kind of a physical tone but that, that, that's been gone for a couple of years but I thought yesterday he really really you know set the tone in a, in a big way you know Dave Moran was doing well enough but still wasn't doing you know as well as maybe we had hoped and uh, and Brian didn't have a good game you know and I, I, I think Maher I think Anthony Maher you know I, I'm a huge fan of Anthony Maher. I, I couldn't believe he was left off the team, um, and, I, and I, I'd love to see a situation where you've 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 Dave and Anthony Maher back. I think that's our strongest midfield pairing because uh, what what was there yesterday didn't didn't work out. We didn't have any platform for the middle of the field, and and when Cork were winning so much ball there, it, it gave their half back line kind of free you know free license to, to bomb up the field as well. Yeah, I thought they hand, Cork handled uh, Donaghy as well as anybody has handled him in quite a while. Yeah. Cadigan was very good yesterday, and not only was he. You know, nullifying Donaghy, but he was, he was driving forward. And I saw it, himself and O'Connor sort of, as, as Michael says, set the tone, you know. I wonder how many boxes Alan O'Connor took before he got one. <laughs> I can imagine. You <laughs> can imagine it wasn't for nothing. <laughs> it was, it was, it was uh, I don't know what, you know, one of the last years we had a replay in Killarney. After about 15 minutes, I came across, I, I came across the middle and caught a ball. And like there was no ball anywhere near his fist, he he, he closed my eye, and uh, I was walking off at half time, and and uh, Jack Jack O'Connor came over to me, and he says, uh, he said something about the game, and uh, I didn't I, I I didn't remember this, but uh, they were telling me after I started talking to Jack about beach balls. <laughs> I, was I was talking about I was concussed, like I, I didn't I didn't even I had what was going on I was talking to Jack about a beach and beach balls and you know it'd be, it'd be it'd be great if we could go and play with a beach ball Jack was like okay Mike I think maybe you need to have a seat there and sit down for a yeah, bit we'll go to and, the beach uh, later Mike and I made a replay the following week above in Cork and I I, uh, I, I don't tell look at it. I said you, you closed my eye for me I said last week and I, if I get a chance I'm going to do you the same and sure the man nearly, he nearly took my head off again like he, he sees no fear and, and again after the game 
shake hands, he talks to you, lovely guy, but he's a desperate, desperate animal of a man. <laughs> <laughs> the replay is going back to Killarney Saturday week, uh, which seems a little unfair, uh, given that much was made even yesterday in the TV coverage of Kerry unbeaten against Cork down there for the last uh, 20 years. Uh, should Cork be kicking up a bit more of a fuss? Should Frank Murphy be... Uh, calling in a few favours to make sure this game is played in Thurless or Limerick or somewhere? Yeah, you think they probably should have had a bit of groundwork done on that before the actual draw happened and it could have been in the Gaelic grounds or somewhere. Yeah. You know? um, but I suppose the thing for Cork is that go down and beat them in the backyard and, you know, if this team is looking for redemption, you know, there's no better way of getting it than, than actually doing that and doing something that we talk about with a bit of substance behind it and if they can do that then you know, this could be the turning point for this yeah. team. Yeah, and like we don't want to be too harsh on Cork either, um, because they were. I, like, I thought they were excellent yeah, yesterday. Were, yeah. But the concern is that you know we have seen this in Munster before with Cork. You know, and like the yeah. and the, and it is a big thing that that in throughout the 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 noughties, uh Cork were capable of beating Kerry in Munster, and then when it came to the Ireland semi-finals, the Ireland finals, and Kerry had to win, they went and won. You yeah. know, so I mean, you know, I, I would always put that. You know, if Cork had won that game yesterday, we wouldn't have been saying that's Cork. They've laid the Kerry ghost mm. to rest. You know, like the, the the fact of the matter is that it's unfair. Cork are held to held to a higher standard because yeah. we know that they have really good yeah. footballers, and that's that's the key, I suppose. They, and they still have to win four huge games to win Ireland this year, and every one of them will probably be against. You know, if they, say if they lose against Kerry, they're playing Dublin. Uh, if they beat Kerry, then maybe they might have a quarter final that might be a little easier. But you know, it doesn't get any easier for them. And a performance like that actually just raises the expectation level again. You know, that's yeah, no, that's unfair. It, that's the it way is, it is. Yeah, and, and we have been unfair. And I suppose the criticism is borne out by the fact that they are better than what they've shown us, and and they proved that yesterday. And I think you know. If you're a Cork footballer and you're listening to that, or you're listening to, to this, you know, sort of debate that's going, that's raging all the time, there's probably only one way to answer it, and that is to go and be successful and win in all Ireland and, and shut people up f- mm. for good, really. And, and, and if you're uh, going to have a chip in your shoulder, you're going to have it for the year. That's the way yeah. to do it, and not, not, not for a day. Well, the likes of Dublin, Donegal, and Mayo be feeling pretty good about what they saw yesterday. Um, I don't think they'll. I honestly th- think that they would have expected better from Kerry. I thought Kerry were pretty poor yesterday. The only caveat you have with that is that we did a lot of players coming back from injury. The likes of Moore hasn't played a lot of football. Obviously, James O'Donoghue coming back in. They sort of looked a bit rusty. So both teams will definitely benefit from a replay. Both teams will definitely benefit from having that extra game because the, the constant thing with teams coming out of Munster is you know they've only played one game and they're a little bit undercooked coming into quarterfinals and. You know, down caught Kerry a number of years ago, and um, you know at that quarter final stage. So you know the extra game will certainly bring these teams on a hell of a lot. And Fitzmaurice might show his, his hand a little bit more the next day, and uh, I think you'd see a, a vastly improved Kerry, and hopefully that Cork can live up to you know what they what they brought to the table last. And I'm sure they feel as well that they can be a little bit better because between Donnick O'Connor and Colin O'Neill they got 2-9 yesterday they need to spread those scores out probably was a little bit disappointed with Brian Hurley who would expect a little bit more especially from a scoring point of view Last question was Fionn Fitzgerald definitely going for that point? He was and No chance <laughs> No? Absolutely It looked to me like it was he was purely dropping it in for Donny and the wind caught it flew over he absolutely he won the lotto yesterday I'll tell you <laughs> he, like he was shaping up to, I, I, I was arguing with fellas last night they were trying to tell me he, he was stroked with the outside of his boot he was trying to drop that ball across the square to Danny and I'll take it to my grave and nobody tried to tell me anything <laughs> there well, was no chance he, he hasn't scored in his entire life and, and he I, I just think the way he shaped up to the ball I thought he was trying to float a kind of a diagonal across the Danny it's like one no of your uh, one of your no not, chance. one of your 180 yard nine irons in uh, Flea Golf Club <laughs> Uh, Michal, I think. I'm telling you, that was more of a sandwich that carried about it. It was like a flyer <laughs> out, of the, out of the rough. It just kept going and kept going. Poor, poor, poor Fionn Fitzgerald. It's not, no, like, uh, it's not like everyone in Killarney would also be telling him that he wasn't going for yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. You could see as soon as he kicked it, there was, a bit, there was three or four players around him and they were like, you know, like, I'm sure it was, what? A brilliant <laughs> yeah, score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I never had any doubt in yeah, it. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, if, if I was playing on that team on a cornerback, in the last minute to say that he was going to be the one to have that pot shot 
he won a score. That's all I know. If, if that was Enda McNulty, <laughs> yeah, you would have uh, you would have been having a few choices. You can't fist it over the bar from there. Michal O'Shea, brilliant. Thanks a lot. Okay, guys, no bother. Thank you. He's a better player than Cooper, in my opinion. He's one of the greatest I've ever seen. Cooper's a two-trick pony. Well, you can't, you can't say he's a two-trick pony. In my opinion, Cooper's a two-trick pony. James O'Donnell is different, folks. He's just totally different. In my opinion, Cooper's a two-trick pony. You should say it's All-Ireland winning time and he goes out and wins them. For 12 years. I want to remove myself from that. All right. Listen, I know talking about the penalty call by Podrick Hughes is pretty boring you don't want to talk about it too much because there's not really much you can say about it it was a terrible call everyone could see that it was a terrible call but what I found kind of strange last night in the Sunday game was how the pundits were pains to say how great a game the referee had and how he was excellent aside from this Mm. but surely the whole point of being a referee at that level is to make the correct call for those giant calls that are going to have a massive effect on the match and not all just the you know going through the motions like you would in any other game they're the sort of calls you have to get right and your whole game will be judged on that well, that's 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 basically it. I mean, you ha- you have to get the big calls right. Um, I mean, from the point of view of him using his black card, the black card. I mean, I actually thought it worked at, really at, well. At least he at least he'd done that because I mean, I was at Galway Mayo and there's Galway's persistent cynical fouling in the full back line. How Galway didn't get way more black cards than they did was just shambolic. So I was actually watching mm. and thinking, right, well, someone's obviously had a serious word. With poor accused about this because you know when the, when the time came for him to actually make the decisions he made the decisions, but I mean yeah you're absolutely right you got to get the big ones right otherwise and it ha- completely has to negate whatever right decision I mean you're there to get every decision right unfortunately you get one big one wrong that has a huge impact on the game I'm afraid that's 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 the that's the ball game you know the football show is already recorded and available now Ken Early is on his way to Las Vegas to cover the McGregor phenomenon we wanted to get a sense of what the hell is going on out there so he'll be our man on the ground which should be interesting over the next couple of shows Murph do you want to tell the people what's on the football show that's yeah they have asked for that really well you can laugh the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist but having said that I want to be like me but you know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'll say it to you, I'll say it to you now. What are you doing down here, you showing me, man? Right, well, Tim Vickery joined us to talk about the Copa America, Chile's extremely dramatic penalty shootout victory over Argentina, and basically why we got to the stage where, like, you know, of course, Argentinian people still, you know, they still obviously love. Little messy, right? Is it? No, no, no. Uh, still not fit to lace Maradona's boots as far as uh, the Argentinians are concerned. And also, Ken explains uh, to those of you not already in the know that I could have been Ireland's Robin Van Persie if the system hadn't failed me so horribly. Oh, so uh, all, all of that uh, available right now for you to download. It's not a bad job. Not as much pizzazz as Ken Murph, but... Well, wasn't a bad promo that's about it from us thank you so much for listening remember a live recording of the show will take place on Thursday week in Dublin at the Sugar Club we want you to be there it's the second ever Irish Times second captain sports night with Rabo Direct get on to irishtimes.com forward slash second captains to apply for tickets the closing day for that's on Friday follow us on Twitter at second captains more shows on Thursday thanks Murph thank you Mergie and thank you for listening what's going on is that that's the second time it's gone off they never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those.